Welcome to the podcast, Loco Talks with Creatio. I'm your host, Andy Zambito, CSO Americas at Creatio. And today we've brought together thought leaders and C-level executives from various industries to discuss how digital transformation will reshape the business landscape. So let's start this discussion. Our goal today is really to kind of discuss, understand how folks are dealing with it um, and how technology is playing a part in not just combating today, but looking forward. So my name is Alex Robinson. You know, always discussed the the uh, win the lottery or hit by the bus scenario, but no one ever really thought that we'd face it as quickly as we did here. So I think this would be a good good format to kind of discuss how people are, are reacting to it. I'll hand it over to Scott for his introduction. Well, thanks, Alex. Uh, my name is Scott Letty. I'm, um, I agree with Alex. You know, obviously, the purpose of today's discussion is, is to be that roundtable discussion. We don't have all the answers. If we had all the answers as to how companies can bounce back from COVID, we would be uh, not sitting here. We'd be highly paid uh, in Washington, D.C. or somewhere like that. Uh, but the idea here is to talk with some of our thought leaders that we have um, throughout this conference and, and discuss some of the um, ways in which companies can utilize technology to uh, come out of, of this pandemic even stronger. Um, so with that, I, I'd like to introduce some of the other, uh, or let some of the other folks introduce themselves. Next, let's go to uh, David Lasher from Keen360. Thank you, David Lasher here uh, with Keen360. A uh, number of posts uh, after being a partner at IBM on the consulting side in CRM, uh, serving as CIO in closed door uh, pharmacy. And then most recently, uh, before coming to uh, Keen360 was CIO, CIO, COO at Maryland's Department of Health, which isn't a post that was entirely irrelevant to today's topic. That's it. Great. Next, let's uh, go right down the list. Uh, Sam, please introduce yourself. Sure. I'm Sam Biardo. I'm uh, CEO of uh, Technology Advisors and Starfish ETL. Um, been doing uh, CRM since it was called SFA. Uh, and uh, before that, I was a college professor teaching database and software engineering, um, which is where I got my PhD. Pretty much it. Excellent. So Dr. Sam Biardo. Okay. Yeah, I don't like to do that. <laughs> <laughs> the doc, I like it. <laughs> Very good. Uh, we'll keep moving right down the list. Yuri, you're next, please. Yeah, sure. Yuri Yushkov, CEO of Velvetech. Uh, my background is building software for banks and credit card processing systems. Started Velvotech in 2004. And since then, we are building platforms for SMBs and Fortune 500 companies and uh, helping their operational departments with uh, process mapping and uh, automation through uh, platforms like Creation. Very good. Thank you so much. Moving right on, let's go to the TCS virtual booth with John. You know, I've been doing, I've actually been doing programming in tech since I was 14, and that was more than a week ago. Um, but I got into, into high tech and hardware first and into software with a company called Pervasive Software that might have had a database, I'll date myself here, Beetrieve, and uh, spent 10 years there and then got into SPM about 15 years ago. And so I've been doing SPM. I also did some CRM when it was called SFA, and I'm, you know, heading up the the uh, SPM practice, which is also niche CRM here at TCS doing uh, global pre-sales and strategy. And so I looked very deeply at, you know, what does that mean to sales organizations that we've gone into this crisis we didn't expect? So hopefully I'll have a couple of good tidbits. Very good. Yes, we, we, we sure hope so. Uh, and then last but not least, uh, Brian, please. Uh, yeah, Brian Seegers. Uh President and CEO of Peak Techo Systems. Uh, been doing this for uh, 23 plus years, uh, specialized in process automation. So uh, as low code and BPM has kind of become more of a hot topic in the last five years, it's been kind of flowing into my wheelhouse. I was doing that kind of stuff in the early 2000s. I actually got into CRM because we were doing process automation for companies and didn't want to write it from scratch anymore. So Views of experience, and it's uh, nice to be in a group where I'm not the uh, the most experienced guy. Very good. Very good. Right you know so as well. Let's... I'm going to retire, uh, Brian. And now you, then you will be. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, you're getting the doctor next time I see you, Sam. Uh, so, so I, I think we can dig into some of the uh, talking points we've prepared for this session to get us started. 
So I'll, I'll modify this one a little bit because the participants uh, now are, are mostly our partners who've been working with um, Creatio customers. Um, so when you guys are talking to customers, what processes are they planning to digitize? And then what tools are they considering to implement to uh, achieve these processes? When you guys go out there and you're talking to your customers, what are the, the processes that uh, they feel like, especially now, are most important to be digital? Onboarding um, and CPM. All of them? Yeah, all of them. All of them is a great answer. <laughs> Onboarding and CPQ are top two. You know, pricing. Um, I've done a lot of SPM, which is paying salespeople. I, personally speaking, I think that's foundational. Uh, Me I think too. It, I think paying salespeople is extremely important. I, <laughs> I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Well, and it builds trust. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, one of the keys there is the data integration piece, which is one of the least easy. Um, so, uh, yeah, all of the above. But it just depends on where their biggest pain is on day one when you mm -hmm. talk to them. Yeah, and, and when we talk about Creatio, that's one of the great things about Creatio as a low-code platform is how broad it is and how flexible it is. And that's one of the, the difficult things is that it's so broad and so flexible. It's companies come to us and say, well, what can we automate? And it's like, you know, it sounds cheesy, but really anything. We just need to figure out what what's going to provide the most value for you. Uh, in, the, in the virtual booth that I was running before, someone came in and said, well, just give me a use case. And I said, I, I can give you 100 use cases. We could sit here all day, but... It, it, they might not matter to you. It depends what kind of company you're running. It depends what your problems are. It depends what systems you have in place. Um, so we, we ended up having a good discussion, but he kind of just said, well, wh what does the system do? And it's like, you know, it can do a lot of different things. The context of, of where you're, you're at currently as a company is, is going to define what it can do and, and what value it can provide. So what I say with SPM is it's not a destination, it's a journey. Once you right. start automating the SPM piece, you know, ultimately you want to get to AI and machine learning and gamification and, you know, the sizzle for the steak. But, um, you know, there's lots of steps in between and building a good data platform for all of that fancy stuff is where most companies are today. I would say they're not above step one or two, you know, heading to a, to a level four or trying to. Isn't that the question, um, doesn't it need to be redefined? Is, isn't the question, what process isn't? being digitized today, right? Yeah. And, and I mean, and, and then it becomes a question of prioritization. And then mm -hmm. from my perspective, the, the reason that there's um, justified excitement about low code is it means that, you know how, how we CIOs, we're always saying, here's what's above the line, here's what's below the line for what we want to attack when we pr prioritize. Low code allows us to draw that line lower than we used to so it allows us to do more with the, the, the re resources available to us. And then we put that into the context of COVID with the changed world, the many unknowns, then we've got flexibility too. So I think the question is, what don't we um, digitize? And, 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 and then the exercise is prioritization. That's very interesting, David. So what you're saying is that we, we have this amount of pipeline projects and this amount of bandwidth before we could only do 1x and now with low code we're able to do 1.5 to 2x we're able to tackle more of this with the exact same amount of resources tackle more of a bandwidth i think that's a very very good point especially as we're coming out of of COVID and we're having to reorganize uh, internally how our how our company functions there's going to be a lot of those projects and a lot more than we anticipated so we didn't allocate those resources ahead of time but now we're having to make do we're having to do more with less low code allows us to do that no i think that when COVID came it was how do we solve for today? But are you guys seeing now that it's okay, we solved or we're solving for today, but now we have to look to the future because what's the next COVID, you know, is, is that something that's happening? And you know, obviously low code can allow for that to happen a lot quicker, but are you seeing the customers that you're dealing with kind of asking like what next, or are they still kind of in that scramble? I think you're seeing people uh, realize that uh, the decisions they made in March and April are not short-term decisions, but are actually long-term strategies. And so all of a sudden now they're, they're buying into, we got to market differently than we did before. You know, maybe trade shows are never going to happen again. You know, although I missed the bar, but uh, you know, really have to look at it like that. And I think that's what's going on is that 
you had a first wave of, oh, we got to turn our inside, our outside salespeople and inside salespeople. So do a bunch of processes. And mm -hmm. now I think you have management saying, wow, maybe everyone should just be an inside salesperson. Look, my expense line for T&E is really low and I'm saving, a, I'm making money even though I'm having less business because we're being more effective than we thought we were. So now let's make some of these processes permanent and let's step back and rethink those processes with the idea that the way we did it before was wrong. It's interesting to note how it all applies to different areas in the organization. So what Sam is saying impacts directly the things that are different employees within the company across the board when they share responsibility for the outcomes. So they need to touch different things multiple times a day to orchestrate their workflow towards those results. And also if you look at the overall connection that the organization has to the outer world, then you immediately see the impact at the area where the data is going through intake processes from customers, uh, vendors, suppliers, anybody uh, to the organization. So the intake is a huge pipeline of data that's coming in because the shift that Sam is referring to in consumer world, people are now doing more digitally or virtually. Mm -hmm. And this yeah. is not going to go away whatsoever. It's just going to magnify uh, over the some time as we get more and more people engaged in this. And then the third area we see uh, across the board in different verticals, whether it's uh, uh, healthcare or it's financial services, is when they do those follow-ups with uh, their customers, vendors, whoever, uh, that's kind of the third area where the processes are all applied. So when the digital transformation officer in the enterprise company speaks to us partners and speak to vendors as creatio, these are the questions that they ask, like, where do we start? As uh, David just mentioned, what's the priority? And what will be the order of attack? Are we starting in the back office, uh, helping our employees to touch points together on things that needs to be uh, managed and carried over? Or is it gonna be our intake with uh, whoever customers or vendors and suppliers? Or is it gonna be the follow-up uh, in, in the chain of uh, communications where the contact center needs to upgrade and, and so on and so forth. And then at the end, it's employees. Employees mm -hmm. who are now working remotely. Those processes like collaboration uh, and things like that. And I, I actually predict that the next thing will be uh, processes, HR processes to focus on things like, uh, how do I have help my employees uh, overcome situational depression? Things like mm. that. Because I really think that's the next way. If, if, if people are being you know, uh, locked down again. You know, I mean, look, look what's happening. People are just going out and rebelling. People in Italy are rioting. Okay, uh, that's that's because they're in they're in basically a situational depression right. situation. And we've even started wellness checks on every employee once a week. We do a half hour wow. bullshit call with them. Excuse the language, but it's just to you know find out where they're at, just to keep them like, is this person? actually not going crazy, you know, yeah. at home, because we got a lot of people just, they're locked up alone. <laughs> That's it. And, and we're so used to that hyper socialization of being in the office and especially in, you know, the, this type of enterprise, the type of enterprise we are in sales and things like that, you know, you're always talking to people and you're always, and you're seeing people and you're going to lunches and you're going to the expos and the bars and you're, you're able to, you know, have outlets for, you know, your social, social needs I'd much rather be sitting down, at a table at a steakhouse with you, you know, you know, it, it's a different feel. And I think that's a really great point you're bringing up is the mental health of, of people and in those mental health checks. And then also just how, how it's going to change the way that people, employees are, are treated, but also onboarded. Um, you, you, you made a uh, mention of onboarding and I've had a few friends who have changed jobs during the pandemic and they're just kind of taken aback of what they're supposed to do. How am I supposed to learn the, the internal software? There's five different softwares I'm supposed right. to know. And I'm here alone in my own little cocoon. How am I supposed to learn how, what the processes are? How am I supposed to, you know, every single time you need to collaborate with someone, it's a it's an extra step as opposed to reaching over and saying, hey, how do I do this? And they can help you within three seconds. Now it's, are they available? Okay, no, let's set a time 
for three o'clock. Okay, great. And now we have this whole dedicated time just to go over one simple thing. So uh, the speed at which you're able to adopt and bring on new employees and the speed at which you're able to kind of keep everyone happy and sane needs to have some tools behind it to help help those types of things. And, and that the wellness check is a great first step. And I'm wondering kind of where that can scale to and how that can be even automated and, and made into a process to make sure that everyone's, you know, doing okay, because that's just as important as um, them being productive as them being healthy and happy, right? Well, it affects their productivity if they're not. Right. So it's, it's true. It is. It is a two-way street. A two-way street. Yeah. Well, but I think that I think that point brings up the counterpoint to David's reframing of the question. Uh, Sam and Scott have brought up the human aspect. So yes. what don't you what don't you automate? You don't automate the things that humans are really good at, and you don't automate the things that customers want to deal with humans for. I mean, even Amazon has a human sales team. You know, we think of Amazon as this monolith where you interact with a website, but they've got a lot of salespeople out there. And there are things that humans do better and that other humans, customers primarily will want to interact with humans. They, you know, the whole omni-channel thing. Yeah, I've done my research. Yeah, I went on to the, to the you know, e-commerce. Uh, yeah, I've dealt with other channels that way, but I want, to, I want to ask a couple of questions and I want to close a deal with an actual human being especially for the higher end B2B stuff. And that brings another point. Thank you, uh, John. Uh, the, the communication, we are spending more time doing communication or interaction with our coworkers, experts, uh, customers, uh, anybody. And it, the channel that we choose is important. And, but more important, if that channel is going to be effective for you, if you're accessing the information at, at the speed that you require, or if at the moment you don't have access to this channel, but that channel, how you maintain the context over your universe of interactions. So bottom line, the communication channel should be as effective as your day-to-day -day activity requires or your customers are demanding from you. Oh, I, I think that's hugely important. Uh, there's a, a Harvard Business Review study about the or article about the six-hour workday, and mm -hmm. the point that it makes is that knowledge workers need to get into a state psychologically of flow to get work done. And if we're constantly interrupted by texts and MS Teams or Slack and email and all of these other things, that you can spend 12 hours a day and not get that much done, but just the communication. So potentially, I would think that the automation can help you do the communication more efficiently mm -hmm. and clear out that extra two, three, four, five hours a day to get in flow and do real work, what I call real work. Not that yeah. communicating with you guys isn't real work. I mean, I think this is real work, no? Yeah, but we We're all have to clock, go off so. and create the deck no, and write the cocktail, paper. And... So it has to be. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we're I, I think we're hearing some questions. I mean, this this always happens. These kinds of conversations. We we, we start out on a technology topic, and we quickly start um, discussing how it's not just the technology that's going to solve any problem, right? Right. And we always start talking about the human dimension, right? And I think the the meetings to uh, for the for the mental well being, mental health of our our employees is a fantastic example, right? I think I think that we as technology professionals and leaders. We kind of a responsibility in this in this new world that's emerging. We don't know what it is, right? And I think we have a, a there's so many unknowns. I think we have a responsibility to keep in mind that there's something that we want to try to avoid. And I think that the way that we interact um, in social media is extraordinarily asocial, right? I think that if you look at the the initial promise and and, and hopes for for social media, we've received the the polar opposites, right? I, yes. I think that is. We're looking at the, well, most of us are working in a business environment, we're working in public agencies. So, so off, let's call it office environments, right? Where people get, we need to figure out how to use the technology that's at our disposal to, to yes, bring more efficiencies, but somehow fill the gaps of social interaction that, that are missing. Look, first social media came and now we're all working from home and we're isolated. What can we do to not just get work done and keep our concentration, right? For as knowledge workers, 
But to keep us as, as people connected to, to communities, I think that's a large part of what we need to be thinking about and striving for. We don't, we don't want the 180 degree opposite um, um, result that we've gotten from social media. Right, very good point. Well, with that pause, um, <laughs> I, 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 I think another thing that's happened here is that we've had an exogenous shock to the system and, and some trends that were, um, all, have always been there, automation. Mm-hmm. They got accelerated. We've got new norms all over the place. And I think that besides the abstract, you know, try to make sure that we keep our bonds to one another, remain communities, I, I think that one of the things that we need to do and one of the opportunities created is again, low code, right? Mm-hmm. The automation has accelerated. People need more automation because they're, they're more distributed. Again, I think this is an opportunity where what this conference is about, we can, you know, it, it's learning how to step in and fill needs that have arrived more quickly than, than, than the pace we were on previously. You know, you can't wait for a 10 month process implementation to adapt to change that that's happening immediately now. So it's how can we leverage the low code to ensure that, you know, we're set up for today, but we have that outward look into the future because I don't think we've ever had that. It's always, well, we've always done it this way and eventually we're going to make that pivot, but we've never had our hand really forced to do it. I was going to say low code really lets you AB test processes. So you, you have the luxury now to build a process and then say, oh, this doesn't work. Let's try another process, which you didn't have before because it took forever to build those processes and automate them. And I right. really think that that's the big advantage with low code. I mean, you look Corona hit and look at the restaurants. They, they all pivoted in one direction or another. Some made home kits, some just did takeout. Some were defiant and stayed, tried to stay the, to keep the doors open. And those are the ones that fail. They're not you know, around anymore. Yeah. The ones that pivoted. But what happens is when you pivot, you see your competitor's success and you follow along, right? And low code lets you try things and then say, well, I've automated that. That's really not the way I want to do it. And I want to tweak that. And you can do it quickly and not have to worry about anything. I think it's the culture and the center of innovation too. Yeah, I mean, I think we've all probably worked with or in organizations where the CRM is five or 10 years behind the actual business processes. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you got a couple of people who decide what the process is, they throw it over that wall to IT, IT spends a few months working on it, throws it back, good or bad, you've got the resources invested, so you use it the best you can. Now you've got a change in culture where you've got people talking about what the process is, to Sam's point, you can do A-B testing and you can keep your applications up with the needs of the business. Within the the business side, you can leverage IT for data, for security, and for some project management expertise with the really good, but you don't necessarily have to just throw it over the fence and wait for whatever they interpret your needs are. Yeah, John, I think that's a really great point and one that I talk about a lot with, with our uh, prospective customers and customers when we're talking about some of the benefits of a, of a low-code company that are, are a little difficult to quantify on a, on a balance sheet but have major dividends. And one of those is the culture change. You know, I've been in a position where with my own company's internal CRM, not Creatio, but a, a former company where I had a lot of ideas for how to make the CRM better. And I would bring them to IT and they'd say, okay, we'll get to it. Um, well, that's not high on the priority list. Even then six months later, it would come back, not what I said, and it would be something different. And I, I just gave up eventually and said, okay, I just, I, I don't care anymore. I, I don't have an investment in making this company run more efficiently because every time I try, I'm just running into that wall and I have to throw it over the wall and it comes back either not at all or something completely different than what I said. And a low code company gets people engaged in the digital transformation efforts. They feel empowered. We use that word empowerment, but it's really true. They say, hey, I can make my department run more efficiently. I can do it. I don't have to give it to IT. There's no you know, custody battle over whose idea is this really and who gets to, I can implement this idea and, and see the results. And like Sam said, A-B test and find out what works best. There's not that sunk cost fallacy where, well, we already spent so much money on this and it's not working right, but we already spent so much money on it. So let's just keep plowing ahead with this inefficient process. So it really does institute a culture change when it's used correctly and implemented correctly, where people should be 
excited to come in and say, hey, I have a problem, but I know how to fix it now. And I'm the best person to fix it because it's my problem. I can build the solution as opposed to, okay, I'll give it to IT. They'll spend six months, come up with a solution, and then they'll get all the credit for fixing my problem that, you know, is my problem. It's like, no, you know, IT can still be there as a, as a significant resource for those strategic projects. And all of the other projects can be handed out to the people who are the best suited and best qualified to figure out the solutions to it. So that's, that's where I see that culture change. And again, that's something that's very, very difficult to quantify because there's, there is no quantification of it, but companies, hopefully in digital transformation efforts can start to see that as they implement Creatio and grow with Creatio or, or any low code platform into how, how their, their people are just kind of approaching their jobs differently and thinking differently. Cause I, I've, I've been there where it's just like, okay, there's no point in me even going to IT because they just laugh me off and say, I, you know, we're, we're working on important stuff, not what you want. And it's like, okay, well, company would work a lot better, but if you guys don't see it as a priority, then fine. You know, hey, Scott. and I, eventually I just gave up and every idea I had just said, ah, forget it. Not even worth it. Hey, Scott. Yeah. I, I, I want to engage you on that because as I'm, I think we probably have some, some other uh, former CIOs here. And okay. um, so I hear you, right? But what we don't want to do is let low code become just another way to get shadow IT, right? There's, there, there's, there's, there's a balance that we need to strike. We can't just have small teams going off rogue and uh, thinking that, you know, they've got all the ideas and they're going to build something new. That will do more harm than good uh, over, over the short, even in the short term, but certainly over the medium term. So again, I, I, this, this idea of governance, right? It's, it's working with IT. Right. And, and I think the platform allows IT to be more responsive to folks like you, right? When, when you're coming in and asking X, Y, and Z, I, I think that they can work with you to get more done. I think that's what the platform does. Right. And I, I didn't mean to say that there should be this uh, civil war between business folks and IT folks. I, I think that, again, the, the collaboration does need to be there. The governance absolutely needs to be there and things should be passed through IT. But it allows them to say, hey, you know, let me see what you've got and we can fix it and make it better as opposed to we just simply don't have time for that. Forget it. Like I was told. I was going to say, I just think low code prevents shadow applications. And how many times have you been like doing a CRM migration or a CRM project and you're you talk to them? You're like, well, yeah, we get we don't really use the CRM for forecast. We got this Excel spreadsheet. OK, that's a shadow application that they built because IT wouldn't build it correctly and low code enables i you know enables them to do it the way the business unit wants it done yeah for us uh the same thing we uh we kind of use that as as a, as a partner tool with other products we've sold in the past you know a request a simple request might be a couple of days and now a simple request for us to do for them maybe a couple of hours and so we get to apply the expertise of the right process and the best best practice with something that's not expensive or a long project. You know, it's an old an old saying of mine is I don't know I don't know a lot about your business yet, but I know one thing: it's going to be different next year. And so we always want to deploy tools that are flexible and changeable. And so you kind of marry those two things. I, I, I agree. There's a lot of danger in getting you know, Sally out of college making automation that's so easy to do, that sounds great. But when you realize, well, she's doing automation for something that should just be completely done a different way, if you were to understand the best practices is just the one thing we have to be careful of. And we, on occasion, will have a customer that will code themselves into oblivion um, because it is so easy to do. Um, but we also can then come in and clean it up and fix it much easier than we would have been in a non-low code environment. So those are the things that we deal with. On the flip side, I see IT teams that are completely siloed from sales and sales operations and the programmers won't talk to anybody in business and business isn't allowed to talk to anybody in IT because those resources are too valuable. And so however you go about this, it, it necessitates you're going to break down those walls and make the process more efficient. In other words, put IT closer to the business and to the change. It's going to necessitate some sort of a culture change, communication change, culture change. I see this in SPM all the time where you've got strategic initiatives from the C-levels. You've got tactical with sales operations. 
And then the people who actually run the SPM system paying the salespeople are entirely IT and they have no clue about sales operations or strategy. Right. So I think one of the I think one of the culture changes that's a positive one that's possible with with low code is the real empowerment of, of business analysts, right? These are the people with the skills, the knowledge, and kind of the personalities to, to work with the business. And, mm-hmm. and I think one of the things that low code can do is, is, is they, can, they can bring together IT and business better than ever because they themselves with low code really can configure, they can configure screen, right? They can do so much. And then their boundaries become okay, but, but now some more sophisticated automations, some system right. integrations, right? And, and I think that low code helps that, that, that marriage that you need to have between, between IT and the business, it breaks down barriers I, without I, creating know, shadow IT. <laughs> something we say a lot here is you know, the, the art of the possible. And I think what this does is it shows the business users what can be done and so they can relay that onto IT to make those changes or to get it done instead of the, well, this will never be able to happen. So I'm not even suggested. So we just kind of stay status quo. I think that, that the low code kind of puts that vision out for everybody. One of the things I like, I mean, you're bus- I was a business analyst, right? That was part of my, my career path. You know, we started doing processes in, in Visio, right? <laughs> right? And, and then uh, people started, tools started coming out where you can mock up a screen, right? And you can have some data in it, but it really wasn't anything, right? Where we are now with low code, modern low code, I think this is a very recent development. Modern low code, the business analysts can actually build the application. And this, this is part of that change that I think is so exciting. I think it amplifies the role of IT. When the application stack is being managed by the business people who need to adapt to the speed of change that the business requires or the environment requires, and the COVID is the best example of that. Those are... Uh, striving who are able to pivot and those who are not, they, they you adapt or, or, or die. Uh, that's, that's the question. And I think it amplifies the role of IT where they really need to have a robust uh, workstation management system for the employees, uh, delivery of the communication channels, making sure everything is secure, cybersecurity is such a huge aspect for them to be busy day and night. I think if they have the right alignment with the longevity of their firm and understand that secures their workspace and and salary and employs them over time, then I think they should look at the low-code platform as the ecosystem that they let into the organization so that they can focus on those essentials uh, for the business and ensure that everything is smooth and secure and accessible at the right time, whether it's a night shift or a day shift. And I think strategically, these are the two things that can live very very well uh, alongside each other. Very good. So that was one talking point. We just got, (laughs) we jumped around a little bit, but that's, that's good. That's the purpose of this. So what one piece of advice would you give to companies thinking about their technology investment priorities as we head into 2021? I think that because of the uncertainty, nobody's, are we having a double dip in, in, with the recession right now, right? Prioritization within governance, IT, working with finance, working with the business so that whatever decision is made, I, I don't think we can prescribe what the decision that should be made will be, but Make sure that you're getting together to make those decisions of where the line is drawn. And, and it might not be the right decision, but at least you're, you, you know why it was. I don't know. I, I wouldn't know how to be more prescriptive than that for all, all companies. Make a plan yeah, yeah. B, make a plan C, and make a plan D because you're not sure which one you're going to use right now. It's too uncertain. Very true. I think we all thought that by 2021, we'd be looking at this in the rearview mirror. Uh, and in a way we are, but in a way... The unknown is still there, and, and uh, I think it's taken a lot longer to get back to normal. Uh, I, I actually was looking in the CRM, and I, I put a note in there in, in late May and said that I should check back with someone now that things are returning to normal. And I was like, well, I wish, uh, but I, I was very hopeful then. I think I would. You know what? I, at the risk of sounding like a, a creatio bigot, okay, which I, oh I don't think I am, okay, um, 
you know, we, we like the Creatio platform because of how much we're able to do with it. It's, it's that simple, okay? And better than the others that we've done good due diligence on, right? Okay. And that's our experience. And that's been 18 months. I think that if there, for, for larger organizations, I think it would be foolish from a, from a sense of portfolio management and, and trying new, I think it would be foolish not to try some kind of a pilot with low code. I think that in the mix, you know, if you don't, if you haven't already been exposed to low code and haven't been working with a low code platform, you know, it's not very expensive. Start small. And I think that at low risk with high potential upside and low out-of-pocket costs, you have the opportunity to maybe pioneer a whole new way. So that, I would recommend that. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a creatio bigot. <laughs> or you're kicked out. Yeah. Safety isn't safe anymore. Right. You know, the restaurants have just hung on. A lot of them have gone out of business. And mm -hmm. so it, it's really put an emphasis uh, and a priority on flexibility and agility. Right. Uh, you know, make all your technology decisions with flexibility and agility. What does that mean? Um, you know, what cultural changes? Those are the hardest sometimes. Uh, will that bring on? But um, we don't know what's in front of us. And so the more flexible and agile you can be, the more survivable your business will be will likely be. Now, I agree with the low code. Uh, uh, there's a saying that says when the factory's closed, it's time to paint the factory. Yep. And I think this is the time to paint the factory. I think you need, everything should be up for grabs, you know, from a, from a process perspective, you need to look at everything. And the fastest way to implement that is through a low code application. So I, I, I agree with you, Dave. It's, it's, uh, I think that's the right, the one thing I, you, I, you can predict. Yeah, I think one advice well, I, that, we can share from, that we hear from our customers who are in cash uh, preservation mode, uh, do more with less. Yes. So invest where you can do more with less uh, spending of your resources. And that can be a, a pretty good guideline for making the decisions. And it almost is counterintuitive to say, well, now is not the time to invest in new software. But as as you guys are saying, if it's if it's a type of software that can allow you to do a lot of things that you'd be doing manually or, or you don't have the um, human capital, you're not going to be in hiring mode. You need your people to be able to produce more. A low code platform is, is a very great way to do that. So it, it is an investment, but the long term and then, as David was saying, the long term payoff is huge or potential payoff is huge for a very uh, small investment of even a pilot project. Let's automate one or two processes and see how, how that works. Um, and then we can scale up from there. Well, and I think that that's the conversation now is to better understand, you know, what were the processes that, you know, we could live with manually in the past and now we've learned we can't. And so what are we doing to automate those? And so if you can get a list of, let's say 15 different processes that now need to be automated do you want 15 point solutions or do you want a solution that can solve for all 15? And that alone could budget for all of them, but also kind of say, okay, this is our pilot is these two processes and we can slowly roll them out if it works. Very good. Let's get to the next question. What will be the core transformation obstacles in 2021? Adoption, because adoption is fear. We got a lot of stress Very in our good. society right now. It's going to be a lot harder to get people to change because change causes just more fear. Yeah, resistance and resistance uh, doing nothing. Cultural right. shifts. Inertia. How do you do a cultural shift? I mean, culture will shift, but how do you do the one you want? <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, that can be a negative shift as well. You're just going to have to put extra energy right, into keeping them abreast of what's going on while you're doing it, getting their buy-in. It's gonna be, it's not, the process hasn't changed. You just have to put more energy into it than you did before because you were, you know, secretly doing it, right? When you, right. When you roll out something new, you walk and you walk around the office, you know, the uh, HB method uh, management by walking around. You sort of walked around, talked to everyone, got their buy-in. You can't do that anymore. It's now, you know, it's now a team meeting. So you're just going to have to put more energy into getting people to accept change and reduce their fears with the understanding they're already heightened going into this situation. Yeah, I think if you attack it as you're controlling the controllable, right? In today's right. world, there's lots that's not controllable. Good this, point. Is, this is a controllable, uh, making an adjustment 
also, you know, how many times do we try to do an implementation when, you know, the, our business world is busy on fire, not on fire on fire, um, and you can't get anything done right. And so you take advantage of, of that situation now. Uh, you give your staff or your company employees something to work towards or from instead of working into that fear. I think all of those things can be used as a positive to make a move that would have been much harder in a normal environment that's going to get you to a much more stable, strong spot uh, as you move forward. And in, in, in like we said, the unknown change. I think that's the, that's the way we talk to customers about it. And uh, that's the way we drive that. And Cratio, as a side note, is a, is a great way to do that. I mean, realistically, there are probably other options too, but those are the focuses. You want something that is flexible uh, and effective and time to, uh, not only is it easy, but it can be quick. But I think that goes back to you know, control the controllable. And that's what I can control. I control what we're building uh, in our customers' businesses to help them get through this. And then when this all changes in six months, you want something that's going to shift with that change too. If everybody's going to be back in the office, which I don't think they are, then you've got something that works on that. Uh, time to response in today's world is a big deal. Uh, we, we all on this call are not so probably driven by it, but the younger generation are so Amazon Prime driven that if we get an email and our staff doesn't respond in a timely fashion, they're going to email or call or text or Facebook someone else. So those are the types of things where we can do an automated response is still a response and then keeps us in that loop. So I kind of sidetracked there, but that's, uh, no, that's, 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 very helpful. that's what I'm thinking. Awesome. Let's, uh, we got a couple more questions and we got some time. All right. A lot of upskilling yeah, has to happen questions. for a company to digitally transform. But in times like these, training budgets get cut first. So how do we meet this challenge? Don't cut the training budget. Yeah. <laughs> or throw the child in the pool and see if he swims. <laughs> Which well, is the alternative. Very good option. Yeah. So with low code, what, what we're finding with our own team is that this, whether it's upskilling or, or other kinds of skilling, we're finding that our folks, if they have any kind of any kind of, of exposure to IT whatsoever, they had that in their in their bones, one way or another, right? Self-selecting groups. The learning curves, you get through them so quickly. It's just jump in and do it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm I, I that, that might be another appeal of this platform. You don't have to, uh, there's not a lot of time. There's not a lot of money that's required. It's just, there's no, there's no great change. It's not like jumping from .NET to Java, right? Or, or something like that. I don't know exactly what that would mean or entail. That's not me. But um, I just don't find the reskilling in the area. If we're talking about, I don't find it to be, that formidable a challenge on, on, on with this kind of platform. And then for end users, if you roll it out, crawl, walk, run, focus on, on end, uh, usability, I think it all facilitates change. I think that change is not really so much about money and budgets. I might cut my training budgets, right? But I think what's incumbent is that leaders step forward and lead, right? Mm. They got to be engaged in the process. And, and if you do that, I think you can be successful in 2021. Won't pose any, might pose different challenges than past years, but but not in, insurmountable ones. Awesome. So you yeah. mentioned the leader's role in uh, in these types of projects. The next question is, in your opinion, what is the employee's role in digital transformation? How do the you know, non-leadership employees take part in a digital transformation effort? I think you guys are all, all the leadership. So uh, how, how would you, you know, expect employees or your customers, employees to, to take part in that effort? What I think helps and what I look for and appreciate in, in, in our teams or teams that we work with in other organizations is there's got to be a recognition and acceptance that change is hard and mistakes are going to be made. And that when mistakes are made and something's rolled out and it's not usable or it doesn't do what you expected, it's not because anybody was dumb or trying to, you know, right or bad. It's, it's, it's changed. And, and so get just, just try to play a constructive role in, mm. in the change. Um, 
when the change imposes unpleasant moments on you, right? I, I, think, I think that's what employees can do, right? Just commit themselves to not being judgy, but instead being constructive. Right. And I think someone mentioned that one of the biggest obstacles when we were talking about that a second ago was, was that inertia, the resistance to change. And I think anytime, you know, employees, especially if they've been in a company and, and they've been at their role for, for a long time, they get very comfortable and they say, well, I'm the only one that can do this. And if we bring in a new tool, maybe I'm replaceable, or maybe um, I'm not going to know how to do it and, and I'll fall behind. And I think that, you know, employees, need to a it's leadership's responsibility to to make sure the employees are, are aware of what's going on um understand all of the whys not just simply the hows and what's um of the digital transformation and why why these new tools are being brought in and why these new processes are being brought in um and the employees it's it's up to them to be open to it and to understand that hey you know your job's gonna look different but it may be better it may be easier you may have more time on your hands you may be able to do more because I agree, anytime things are not what we're used to, we get scared and we, we don't like change. Um, and, and unfortunately, this COVID has, has enforced, you know, externally change on everybody. Um, and hopefully people have seen that, hey, you know, the company didn't fall apart. My role didn't change drastically. I'm still able to manage. I'm still able to keep my head above water. Um, and hopefully we'll see coming out of this a workforce that is more open to uh, innovation, open to new directions, open to new ideas and open to new um, technologies coming into their, their ecosystem. Maybe the role did change for the better. I mean, you know. Yeah, exactly. Change CP, can be good. You know, in, in the sales context, you know, with uh, CPQ technologies, you're not, rather than spending, you know, uh, minutes, hours, or even days setting up a configuration for somebody, sure. bringing in experts, pricing it properly, you can actually focus on your sales job and you can send up a, a really pretty proposal and quote in a matter of seconds or minutes. And now you can do more and the customer's happier. So there, there are those moments too. Well, like spending less time on the research that uh, Creatius is helping you with and uh, spending more time on communication and follow-ups uh, also helped with Creatio. I think people still want a human connection. You know, yes. I think some people buy from Amazon. I buy from Amazon almost daily now, sadly. But uh, but uh, there's other things where I'm researching. Uh, I actually want to talk to people about it. So I literally will go and chat or ask questions that I can't find in Google because someone didn't write a blog about that, that exact question. Um, <clears throat> and so, I, you know, I think the role of employees for, for some will be will be more of high touch value. We have, mm -hmm. we, have, we have processes that automate them so they can offer high touch value to the customer. And one employee, you know, and, may, and maybe you'll have less employees, but a customer is not gonna buy from you unless they have, they believe in you, they, they trust you, right? That's the trust factor. And the way we get the trust factor is through either education of the employee or I mean, of the customer or through a relationship that you're building as through that's part of the sales process. And it, in fact, it could be scripted and it could be part of the digital transformation, but it still has to be there. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the role of the employee going forward, particularly yeah, in the sales and marketing and oh, customer service side. It's actually a little bit of both. It's, it's, the, it's both the education and building that relationship you know, on a sliding scale, depending on the product and the business and the customer. Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think Thanks. employees need to, you know, need to understand that their jobs will change. I mean, every, you know, the organizations are changing, their, their jobs will change. So this technology is going to be that trigger event for it, but it doesn't mean that they're losing their job. They just have to they're understand how to, yeah, how to transform it moving forward. Exactly. Awesome. So we got one final question. This is a big one. So who should be responsible for digital transformation? I, I, I meant to ask before someone mentioned something of a, of a digital transformation officer. So I'll ask this question first. Do you guys in, in a lot of your customers see a dedicated role uh, to digital transformation? Because I know that's kind of a new role. And if, if not, um, do you think that's necessary for companies to have? Uh, and then see if not, who should be responsible? 
for digital transformation? So kind of multi-tiered question, but I was curious about the role of a digital transformation officer, how prevalent you see that today and then maybe in, in the future. Depending on the size of the company. So in the larger enterprise, you definitely are able to find a digital transformation officer. Mm-hmm. In a smaller group of businesses, you can see uh, program managers transforming into this. Okay. Seen some press saying that the CMO is transforming into a CXO, Chief Experience Officer, these mm. days. And there's also been some articles I've read that are saying that the CIO or CTO is now going to have a much greater responsibility for employee experience. So that would necessitate, in my okay. view, the the CXO working closely yeah. with the CIO as well, because mm-hmm. it's. And, and in what I do, I, I, you know, you have CX, but CX is a big buzzword everywhere, CXT, whatever, but I break it down into EX. I think Richard Branson said it best. He's like, take care of your employees. They'll take care of your customers. Yep. But another adjunct to that is SX, the sales experience. So SX and EX equal great CX or something to that effect. We are also interacting with some of the uh, VP of innovation uh, at our company clients who lead the, uh, the game uh, plan and the digital transformation. But you are right. Sometimes it's just a chief technology officer as opposed to CIO who is more involved with workspace and infrastructure uh, operations. The CTOs are essentially in ch- becoming in charge of the success of the company's product in the digital market. I think there's an easy answer to this question. So Everyone? As... as as it's phrased, and that was, that's a one-word answer, it's every, everyone. Everyone is responsible for digital transformation. The question becomes who is accountable, right? Racy, mm. those, right, in, in a sense of racy matri- um, method, method. So everybody's responsible. Everybody has to do their part. And if they don't, that's when they get their opportunity to um, take their talents elsewhere, right? So, so the question is who's accountable? And I, I think that it has to be the leader of the organization. I think it has to be the CEO. So yeah, I, I, I think that is the only person, that is the only person, because tr- because digital transformation involves so, bec- precisely because it involves everyone. There's only one person who has the sphere of control over everyone. And when we create these these offices in like digital transformation officer, I had to look at my notes to remember what it was called. It's kind of a position that politically is never going to have any, sw- any long-term sway in the C-suite. Because that, that, it's not a real office. Right? You need money, you need people. And so the digital transformation officer really needs to be the CEO, in my view. And if not the CEO, it has to be instead of creating a new officer of, uh, you know, a new office of suspect actual influence within the, the organization, got to fall to the COO, the CFO and the CIO are kind of working together at the accountability level. I think that's a, that's a good distinction you made. Everyone should be responsible for their own piece of digital transformation, but eventually it does have to be, you know, someone who's accountable for it. And then so you, you feel like the, the top executive needs to have oversight over this in order for it to be. Yeah. I don't know how it can be delegated. Correct. Very good. All right. Well, first of all, thank you uh, so much to my, my thought leaders for joining us. I, this was a really, really great discussion. And um, to the audience, thank you so much for joining us today. Prince, thanks guys. Thanks, thanks guys. everybody. It was really a great discussion full of insights and expert opinions. I believe our audience received a lot of benefit from today's conversation. Thank you so much to our expert guests for sharing their ideas. And thank you to all our listeners for joining us today. To get more information about our podcasts and services, visit our website, creatio.com. For more insights, check our digital event page and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Talk soon.